Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good morning, everyone. This is Nathan Siegel of The Thought Hackers. With me today is James Goff. And James is going to be talking about what it takes to be truly happy. Now, when James was in his early teens, he looked around and noticed that there were not many people who were truly happy with their lives. He soon realized that even people who seemingly had everything, people such as Elvis Presley and more recently Robin Williams, were in fact unhappy, and in some cases unhappy enough to end their lives. This led to a quest one that's led uh, lasted for nearly three decades. And the purpose was a search to find out what true happiness really is. And because of what James has learned, he is able to be happy, joyful, and content 99 to 100% of the time. So James, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Nathan. Good to be here. Yeah, like, likewise. Um, when you reached out to me, you certainly, you certainly got my attention and from what I can understand your story is not typical of the the many people that we've spoken to so far you realized as you said in your early teens that something wasn't right and, yeah. and I, I'm curious like, what what was it that you noticed what what was the that key moment I think there's been a few moments like that with different things as well, even like um, health. You know, I look around at what people consider to be healthy and the advice that's been given and then see that actually the evidence doesn't hold true. So, you know, when it comes to happiness, I was, you know, everyone was would be talking, and still do talk about people who seemingly have everything, the... You know the pop stars, the movie actors, the multi-millionaires, and everyone seems to assume that that's what you want to have in life. And yet, they're often. And um, there was a, a one of the top uh, agents for the famous people in Hollywood stated that the higher up the ladder they get, the un unhappier they get. And that's what I realised is that. Well, hold on a second. What we're led to believe that we want in life isn't what's making people happy in life. And uh, just like with health and fitness, I thought, well, what is the truth then? Hmm. Yeah. It, what we're fed by the media is not not the reality. It's something that I've uh, discovered as a traveler. That what the media tells us quite often is simply not true. Especially yeah, about what's happening in other countries, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely, because uh, just as a quick aside, but for me as a traveler, it was only when I left my country of origin that I really started to learn the truth about how things actually work. I didn't learn it when I was at, back in Canada. I learned it when I was on the road. And I learned yeah. that a lot of what we were being taught, uh, especially when I was around my expat friends, and we looked around, uh, like I, I had some, uh, as a case in point, uh, this one friend was in a major panic over the swine flu a number of years ago when I was down in Mexico, and she sent me this frantic letter. And I said to her, okay, Sandra, the, there are three things you must do beginning immediately. Stop watching TV, 
stop yeah. listening to the radio and stop reading the damn newspapers. Yeah, yeah. So, because she was getting a, a ton of uh, misinformation and believing what she was hearing when in fact I was living in the place that she was upset about and I was just looking around going, well, you know, there's not much happening here. It seems pretty normal to me. Yeah, when, when I was in my... I think early 20s, you know, 21, 22, um, I think anyway, I was living in LA and the it was the year, I could probably look it up actually, it was the year of the poll tax riots here in the UK and the media in the US were portraying it that the whole of the UK was rioting and there were police and the army and, and I was like, holy cow, so I phoned my mum up, we're in a panic Say, Mum, Mum, are you okay? And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, poll tax, everyone's rioting. And she goes, oh, it's just a couple of extremists in Piccadilly Circus. There's, there's no further than that. And yeah. I was, really? And I've seen that in multiple countries, multiple times, the different sorts of propaganda that are uh, um, pushed upon us. And no more so than with... Uh, you know, the idea of what we're supposed to want in life, which is material goods, which is what they want to push on us, isn't it? Material goods and pharmaceutical drugs and and high-carb, fat-causing foods, in my opinion. <laughs> and you just have to look at those statistics, you know, of uh, obesity in the, in the world and iatrogenic disease, you know, the, the biggest killer in the world which is doctor and medical intervention um, and then you start to scratch your head and think well hold on uh, you know what what is the truth and with happiness that's what I I started to go out and look for um, and so, that, that's what, why we're here today <laughs> yeah exactly and I'm really curious as to what you found like, uh, like how did you Wind it. Well, there's so many questions I want to ask you, and I guess we'll just have to see how it goes here. Yeah. In, in terms of the beginning, when you realized that things were not right, what was your first step? Well, my, my first step was, was reading, going out and looking for people who did know. And I remember starting off with Freud and Jung. Actually, I've, I've gone circle, back in the circle with Jung, due to listening to a lot of Joseph Campbell recently mm. and uh, Man and His Archetypes, which I struggled through back in my teens. Um, I think it deserves another another read. You know, uh, I can't imagine that I would have fully understood it then, but I think I, I might get something different from it now. So I went through, you know, the classics of psychology and then went more into the... Eastern classical ways of, of looking at um, happiness through Taoism and Taoism is one I, I like to lot actually and it's helped me a lot over the years I've learned a lot through their take on life and a lot of their practices because they were quite well researched and documented by the Chinese for thousands of years um, and then you know, I've, I've really kind of gone across the board of Deepak Chopra and people like that, Louise L. Hay, and, you know, a lot of them helped and then studied things like uh, hypnosis and NLP and lots of different 
mind therapies like that. And I think what I concluded is a lot of them are treating symptoms and not the root cause of everything, um, yes. which is brilliant. Like NLP, um, especially and um, hypnosis, and and all of those people I've mentioned, they can be life changing. You know, if you've got a specific issue in your life, they can really make a vast difference by taking a lot of pain away. Um, but they don't have, I don't believe, any real guidance on how to what to do on a day-to-day, on a, on a -day, moment-to-moment basis to maintain a nice state of happiness and confidence and um, relaxate, rela you know, a relaxed mind, mm -hmm. a joyful mind, a mind that's full of hope and an excitement of life and potentiality. Yeah. Um, and that's what I went out to, to I, I, I'd reached, I think what happened is I'd reached there, but didn't know how I got there, so what I did was broke down what I do, and what I what I did and what I do to reach there. That would I still be that that would, yeah, that would be that would be the most useful, I mean tools like NLP, like you said, are very effective for removing pain and so on, and, and it can be useful for for happiness and so on, when you learn how to use it, I mean, I've I've used it many ways myself. One of yeah. the one of the issues, though, and I would say it comes up with pretty much every single discipline that you encounter, is actually the word discipline. It needs oh, to yeah. the happiness needs to be a habit. It it needs to be something that you practice because my experience of the human mind is that it can very quickly lead you into all sorts of pain, even even if nothing is wrong in particular. It just seems to be its nature. And in order to prevent that or minimize that from happening, one needs to practice certain habits of happiness on a regular basis. Yes. That's been my experience. Yes. I, I think you're absolutely right. and. The reason I have this consistent state would be just the same as anybody who started to run and you know there are people who run and they run for a couple of days and then they stop for a week and then they run for a few weeks or a couple of months and then they stop for a month and you know their, their fitness and their level of being able to run doesn't really go that far yeah. but if you consistently run and it doesn't have to be far all the time. If you do it consistently, you'll consistently build a level of ability to run and run further and longer without getting out of breath. And then it becomes very, very easy. And it's just like you said there, the habit of happiness is one that has to be worked on. Until you get to that maintenance state, that flow state, where you're just doing it, because it, it's is inbuilt in you. Yes, yes, agreed. So you you were talking about you arrived at this state and things were working for you, and you said, but you didn't know how you got there, so you needed to go back and break it down. So can you describe uh, what the steps were that you discovered? The steps that I discovered are 
creating that habit. And the interesting thing about creating that habit um, is that people think it requires a lot of work and motivation, etc. Like weight loss or exercise, again, doesn't require motivation. And people think, oh, you need to be motivated to go to the gym. I'm not motivated. Yet they're hugely motivated in other areas of their lives. Therefore, it can't just be motivation because they're already motivated. They may be successful at work. Maybe they're successful in relationships with their children or they're successful with painting regularly. So they have the ability for creating motivation and creating habits. And the first step for wanting to be happy for, for people is if you said to them, so why do you want to be happy? Same with exercise or diet or anything else that people that you want to be rich, you know, start their own business. If you say to them, why do you want to do it? They normally only have at best five reasons. And those reasons are very often wishy-washy. And the problem is, is they have an equal amount or more reasons not to do it. That they can very quickly and whenever, you know, even when they're not aware of it, that reason will pop into their head. Oh, I'm too tired. Oh, I want to watch TV. Oh, I trained yesterday, so, you know, I'll have a day of rest. Oh, you know, rich people um, are normally bad people. Oh, you know, um, my doctor is fat, so it can't be that bad for me. Do you know what I mean? They have these counter-arguments to the arguments and the desire that they have to be happy. Yes, yes, so, that's true. You know, oh, it, it's natural to feel unhappy. It is, yeah, but not consistently, not, not, when, not when there's no reason. And, and, yet, and yet our minds manufacture this stuff. I mean, you could just be sitting in a quiet room with nothing going on, no problems of any kind, and the mind will create a story that will create unhappiness. That's it, yeah. That little, that voice, that program, that reason we give ourselves can then run, and as you said earlier, it starts to then run amok if it's not consistently, through practice, checked. And so the first thing that you would do, and this is once again, I was like, well, what did I do? You know, what, what, why is it that I ended up in this place? Because I, I know what I do on a regular basis, but what did I do to get there? And the, the reason was an overriding, compelling desire. And that's the, the reasons to do it. Instead of five, like with my exercise, for instance, I have 75 at least reasons for exercising. Mm -hmm. A lot of them extrinsic, you know, so, you know, I want to run faster, I want my physique to look better, things like this, and a lot of them intrinsic. So my, my, my main reason for exercise, as an example, is because I have a little girl, I'm 49 years old, my little girl's nine, my grandchildren are going to be... I don't know what our age, age I'll be. I did work it out one time, but let's say it's 80 years old. I want to be playing football with them and running with them and doing all the things that you would love to do with your grandkids rather than just sitting there watching them from afar. I planned 30 years ago, let's say 20 years ago, to be healthy in my old age. It was, it was a, a predestined plan. I was Once again, I looked around and I'm like, there's some people who 
are running. Like there was a, a race the other day between a 98-year-old and a 92-year-old, a 100-meter sprint. And I saw those people, and I'm like, well, there are people doing it, and yet virtually everybody I see is like incontinent by the time they're 60 or 70. You know? And I'm like, it doesn't have to be like that. It, there must be a different way. So, and and you touched on it. You uh, you made a decision. That seems to be the key thing. Is that, am I correct? A decision, and then the important thing, Nathan, is to build on those decisions so that there's no argument. It's like that. What people think of as motiv motivation. It's just reasons. It's like the old one, if you, somebody puts a gun to your head, you're highly motivated. And if you have plenty of reasons, so for me, it's, I, you know, I want to be able to run and play with my daughter and travel around the world with her and things like this. And so I have lots and lots and lots and lots, and you need to write them down so you know them specifically and intrinsic, emotionally-led reasons for wanting to be happy not just oh i want to be happy there's there's lots of reasons for it if you're happy so the science behind it from harvard is that when you're happy you're successful it's not the other way around when you're happy you make better decisions when you're yes. happy more confident when you're happy you choose better food when you're happy, you want to go and do exercise. You know, you can go on. When you're happy, you're going to live longer. When you're happy, you're going to have better relationships with the people around you. You see, I can go on and on and on and on. And you need to have those reasons written down. The second part is to counter those reasons that other people will give you, including the professionals. And... The ones that are programmed in your mind and those voices that you're going to give yourself, you know, as reasons, those, those programs that run, that tell you something that isn't supportive to becoming and being the optimal person that you can be. So what you do is every time you hear them, you write them down or record them to then write them down later. Or you sit and go through the ones that just come off the top of your mind. And people, people are much quicker and easier at finding the reasons not to do it than the reasons, like I said at the beginning, the pros and the reasons for actually doing something. They can list the reasons not to very quickly and efficiently. And then what you do is you reframe them. So you say, yes. well, so, um, I know I don't feel so great right now, but I know that if I get up and do maybe five press-ups or if I go and read a book or watch a motivational video, my mood will change. And I know that if my mood changes, it will lead me to my goal of being happy and confident. And then you go to your pros and you think of your pros that are related to that con, as it's referred to, and um, you counter it with that argument. Yes, yes, reframing is ex extremely powerful. Yeah. And, and, and looking at also at the list in this section, uh, uh, the nine power questions, uh, one of the things you have is limiting beliefs, which is something that trips up so many people. And yes. I mean, in terms of my colleague and myself, we're using the NLP technique of working with limiting beliefs, but how do you deal with it? 
It's probably very similar. I, I go back to the time where I think I first heard or was programmed of that limiting belief. So, you mm -hmm. know, you can, I, one of the ones was my mum, you know, looking at me in a certain way. And, you know, I, I, I remember having that image and that um, feeling over the years and wondering why it kept on cropping up, you know, and, and didn't appreciate how much it was affecting my life. But what I do is, or what I did, I haven't needed to do any of this for, for quite a while, I'll go back to that point and just appreciate. So one of the things I might do, I've, I've used timeline therapy as a good way to do it. Um, so I'll, I'll go back to that situation, I might hover above it from above, I'll then assess the situation, appreciate that my mum was doing the best that she could with the tools that she had for living her life that she had stresses and strains. She didn't have the, the luxury I have of being able to just jump on the internet and look for um, solutions and advice from brilliant people from all over the world, not just, you know, the doctor or the priest is what people had, you know, 10, 20 years ago, and that she was coping as best as she could. And actually, her response was not actually directed at me as a person it was just at my behavior at that time mm, okay and so and then what i might do is is pop myself as i am now into the situation and talk to the little me that was there and say listen fella you know you're a good person you know you're a good kid uh your mum's was looking after you and always looked after you the best she could and and then just give myself a little pep talk as to how to reframe and look at the situation from a different light. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many different ways of dealing with the limiting beliefs. Uh, the one that Hamish taught me through NLP is actually four steps. And surprisingly, very fast. And NLP, what I've seen of it so far uh, over the years, is that it teaches us different things. It's like one of the many things that I've seen is we know stuff, but we don't know how we know. And yeah. and if you become a detective and you use something like NLP to help you find your way, you can discover things about yourself that you do, and you're very efficient at it, but you don't know why or how or where the information is coming from. It's like what you were talking about earlier. So, so earlier you defined these two major components um, the and so I'm just wondering what what comes after that. What do you do once you have those things? So that will build the importance, and because we're going to have a lot of things that are important in our life, and we need to be sure that we're working through the day and giving our energy to the things that we consider to be the the key important areas that we need to work on, exercise, spirituality, relationships, and so happiness being one of them, and or maybe more, rather than it just being happiness, but for me it's, it's the state of mind. So I don't have any negative, I mean when I say 99%, I'd, I'd honestly say it's 100, you know, I mean there's, there's few times now where I move out of a state of 
just been freaking great, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> In my mind now, I really have a case of why? Why would I want to? Who would that help? The, if I'm in a in a really good mental and emotional state, then I'm giving myself the optimum the optimum position to make the best decisions in my life, and I'm in the optimum state to be the best father, the best um, boyfriend at this stage, the best son for my mum, the best friend for my friends, the best person for everybody at every moment and I, I you know and then I hope that's the planet earth and everything else beyond so in my mind there isn't a time except a few few moments one I'll give you one one is um, sex so that's a part where I can through um, through like hormones and things like that I'll this is an area that I've realized I still need to look at do you know what I mean? Yes. So apart well, from that, idea, there, hasn't, yes. there hasn't been an area where I don't lose my center and my presence. Um, so it's it's really just a complete choice. It's a mind state. And then those feelings that I have on a moment-to-moment -moment basis are always really good feelings for me. And then I can switch to more energetic ones, more relaxed ones, more focused ones, depending on what I need at that moment. Um, now, I, I, you'll need to remind me of what your question was just there, Nathan, because I think I got sidetracked slightly. Um, well, it had to do with um, what what the next step is after you've set those two that you were talking that about. And th there was, uh, yeah, there was something like one of the things that you sent me as a way of keeping yourself on track, as a way of keeping yourself away from uh, being or going in a negative direction that would make yourself unhappy. You've got this page on your site uh, with nine power questions and looking at it earlier there were like six of them that you could ask yourself throughout the day as a way of keeping yourself on track. They're, they're brilliant, yeah. I'll, I'll come to those uh, in a little while. The second, sure. the, the third stage once you have those, the importance position, so that really most of the things that you're going to be choosing to do after that are going to be geared towards you reaching that goal. So if it's happiness, you've got, let's say, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 reasons for achieving it, and you have counters to all of the reasons you give yourself not to want to achieve it. And then what you can do is, once again, this... This is used a lot in NLP and, and a, lot of, a lot of other disciplines actually as well. But NLP has got a beautiful way of um, describing how to use it. And that's your submodalities. And yes. this, is, this is how you then manage all of those feelings. And if you can work submodalities really well, I have a great um, audio that talks you through it. If you can work the submodalities really well, what you can do is take the good feeling that you want to have and learn how to recreate it and actually increase the power of it. So um, you can take a good feeling, you know, if I think about hugging my little girl, if I, if I really think about that and get into it, 
I can see her face and a little smile and I can feel her arms around me and I can smell her skin and her hair and the feeling of her touching my body. I mean, the, 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 the biology of it is it releases oxytocin and dopamine and all of these things into my brain. And while I think about doing it, if I immerse myself in it, those things are released in my brain as well. And the, the center, the, the area of my brain that's related to those good feelings is being stimulated. And if I do that enough and I build on that, strengthen it, um, which is maybe a little bit too long to explain in this, this audio, um, mm -hmm. the feeling gets stronger. And that, that neurological area of the brain starts to grow. Yes. And that, that's what we're doing by the habit, as you mentioned, of working on that happiness. We're growing that area of our brain so that it becomes more dominant. There's new, yeah. more neurological connections to it. And it becomes more powerful and more habitual to stay in that state. Yes, and it becomes easier to stay in that state once uh, you learn how to do it. And one of the things that's become apparent to me in our in our conversation this morning, and I realize that we're not going to be able to go there today, is that essentially we're, we're getting here, what our audience will be getting, as well as me listening to you, is more, more of a bird's eye view, if you will, of your process rather than an actual working example of what it is that you do because it, it suddenly dawned on me as you were talking it's like oh okay what I would really like to do with you as a, as a follow-up interview is that we just take a little bit of time to map out a process of say achieving happiness in one particular area of your life where things are not working well or not as well as you would like them to be and then mapping out that process and then doing a call with you an interview with you where you would walk me and our audience through that process. I think that would be very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, One thing that anybody can take away today, and this, you could, you could just use this, and the according to the research of over 5,000 people now for a Duke University study, it's got, I think, a 92 or 94% success rate. But just ask yourself the question every day, and you can put this into a, you know, a, a Google survey or something like that or in a little spreadsheet. And ask yourself throughout the day, you can set your phone for alarms to remind you, have I done my best to be happy today? Have I done my best to be happy since the last time I scored myself? And what it does is it just it nudges the brain, just kind of goes, hey, and you're like, oh, have I? And it's like, hey, and you're like, oh, have I? Until in the end, it becomes the overriding thought as you go through the day. Am I doing, am I being happy right now? Are my thoughts happy? Yeah, <laughs> for me. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing too, because I want to touch briefly on something you said earlier, which is happiness comes first, not success. If you are happy, you will be successful, whereas the what most people do, what most people seem to understand is that I will become successful, then I will be happy when in fact, as you were saying, it's the other way around. Is that correct? Yeah, without a doubt. That's, that's, um, if you look up Sean Akel from Harvard University, um, that's all of his research, and he now teaches this, the most successful 
um, mind course for corporates or something like this ever. And so he, he's teaching this to the top CEOs in the world. And after the crash in 2008, I think it was, he said that he was being shipped into these top companies in the world and the salespeople were just, you know, so depressed and, you know, had terrible thoughts about the situation. And what he did was just turn them on to happiness. And as soon as they were switched on with their happiness, everything else then started to succeed again. Yes, I agree. And yeah, and for those of you who are listening to this, this podcast, one of the pieces of work that that uh, James is referring to here to do with Sean Aker. Sean Aker wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. And it's a, a really good book, very interesting. He's got a website, I believe it's called Big Think or something like that. And a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to interview one of his protégés. I think his name was Eric Nepfler, who is also involved in, in this happiness uh, way of being. And it's a very interesting idea because many people think that when I do X, I'll be happy. But if you're happy first, then it dramatically alters and influences your results. So you don't have to take my word for it or James's word for it. If you look it up and you start doing some of the research, like actually one of the exercises, and uh, I just want to mention this and then we'll get back into it, is one of the core exercises in the happiness advantage for achieving a different state of mind for creating happiness and contentment in your life is a gratitude journal. Now the way that they described it in the book, if I remember correctly, is what you do to change the way you are to create a different way of being is you write an email to two people every single day about why you're grateful that they're in your life, something like that. That's, um, that's one of the tools that you can use to learn how to be happy. Definitely, attitude of gratitude is something that I've used for for decades, I would say. And uh, this morning, in my, um, I use uh, Evernote. Yes. So my, my daily ritual in the morning, and one of the things is to to write. Uh, where is it now? A positive state that I was experiencing, the person I want to become, and the arte I want to express. Arte is uh, excellence. Is that it kind of living excellence at every moment and then um, something that made me feel good yesterday yes yeah there was some there was some variation of what you're talking about i forget where i read it where you talk about you write down something that happened and then you write about the details of it i, I wish i could remember exactly how they phrased it but something some sort of experience then you write about what you learned from it or what it did for you and when you do that, it really it makes a major change in the way that you think, and over time, it it really starts to permeate your life. Yeah, well, they they're using that for um, people after um, who've who've been in a, a a sort of a situation like a war zone, and they've suffered from right. post traumatic stress one of the quickest and easiest ways for them to recover from that is to write down the experience and then they write it down again and they do that i think it's for as little as a week and by the time the week's over it's as if their mind is able to 
file the experience away properly. It yes, what you say makes sense because uh, it. I mean, there's so many different ways of dealing with these different uh, problems. PTSD is a uh, quite terrible, or can, it can be. And having been through it, I, I can really appreciate it. My PTSD is gone now, with that, and we've talked about that in other podcasts. So I won't elaborate on it here. But the thing of writing stuff out um, is very powerful because one of the reasons that people suffer so much, in my experience, my opinion, is because they've got all this stuff banging around inside their heads, and they think that that's the reality but if you t take those thoughts out of your head and you write out the full thing on paper like Byron Katie uh, who uses a, a method called uh, self-inquiry or she calls it self-inquiry if I remember correctly yeah. she said taking the war in your and putting it on paper yeah and when and when you do that and you get it out of your mind and you can actually get it onto paper a remarkable thing happens your mind starts to clear. Mm -hmm. You start to feel better. And all of these things that were troubling you, once you get it on the paper and you can actually see it, sometimes the solution will mag it will seem like magic. Yeah. And it's not. Will will appear. Yeah. I agree. There's there's an interesting other level to that as well that I've discovered just probably in the last year or two. And um, uh -huh. I didn't realize didn't actually realize what it was until I listened to a chap called Dave Allen, you know, getting stuff done, I think it is, or getting things done. He, have uh -huh. you come across him before? He writes about basically no. organizing your life. So Evernote is a way to have your, your life sort of organized. You have to-do lists and you can put in dates and things like this. And he, he's quite a gruff character um, and... Um, he, he, he stands and he states that through organizing your life and having it not in your mind, but in a system that's in either written down or on a computer, it leads to a, a nirvana-like state. And it's amazing how it does. And that, the way, as far as he's concerned, it works, and logically it makes sense, is that if you have lots of stuff rattling around in your, in your mind, let alone undealt with emotions from, you know, maybe some stressful situation but if you have a lot of other stuff rattling around in your mind like I've got to pay the gas bill I've got to get the you know pack lunch organized I've got to get the car emoted I've got to phone that person back da -da 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 -da. that's your brain power being used up unnecessarily and if you put yes. that all down into a system and I'm big on systems as well Nathan if you can put it down into a system that's either on paper or in a computer system, then you're not cluttered with a load of nonsense that doesn't need to be there. And you can use your brain power, and you can use your energy, and you can use your focus on the stuff that's important. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I was going to ask you a certain number of questions, and what's what's been nice about our conversation is how things have been coming up naturally. Yeah. I haven't had to necessarily ask you at all. You just bring it up. It's partly, partly I would imagine, because you've done a number of interviews and partly because you have been doing this long enough that you are well organized in, in your thinking. And 
I, I, I love the practice of writing stuff out. I, I believe from my own experience that it's incredibly powerful in addition to gratitude and so many other things that we've talked about today that for those people who are listening to this uh, they will come away with a few things that they they can they can actually put in a play and it's interesting you mentioned Evernote I've I've been aware of it for a while but I haven't used it I I, I wasn't fond of the, w of the way it was set up or something about it I don't know what it was I use a note program instead right. on my phone and I write notes all the time the biggest problem I have is organization so maybe uh, something like Evernote will solve that issue for me. Uh, maybe um, it's, it's one of those things it's uh, you just find the one that works for you you know there's so many of them out there um, I like yeah. as well and um, yeah. so I have a few different systems that I use uh, and all together they, they they keep me keep me organized and keep the junk out of my head yeah for sure so We've covered quite a bit of ground today, and it's been quite nice. It's been very enjoyable. Be before we go, though, a couple things is if you could recommend one one book that you think you you um, our listeners should read. Like to know about that, and also information uh, about where people can learn more about you. Yes. Now. I I I've forgotten about the the book requirement, but. Just as, a, as an end on this then, I would recommend How to Be a Stoic, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Living by Professor Massimo Pigliucci, I hope is the right pronunciation. And the reason for that is it's got great lessons and Stoicism is, is another wonderful way of learning with proper specific exercises on how to live life, how to get through life to the best of your, your ability. And one of the, the, the beauties of and probably the most important things to learn in Stoicism is something that I think is very, very important to mention in this, this uh, conversation of mindset. And that is that uh, we're all going to die. We can't stop that from happening. Yeah, a lot of people worry and fret over death, something they can't affect and change in any way, shape or form. And that is like a lot of the things that people are using their energy and their mind on. They're worrying about things they can't change. And the Stoics, one of their core principles was to understand what, you, what can't be changed and not worry about it. The things that you can influence, you influence them to the best of your ability, but then you don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's funny. As soon as as soon as you said that, what popped into my mind uh, immediately is um, is the sorry. Somebody tried to call me right in the middle of our interview. Right. I never expected that to happen. <laughs> anyway. Um, what popped into my mind immediately was the serenity prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you yeah. You're familiar yeah, yeah, with that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get it from there. They get it from. Yeah, it used used in as far as I know. I, when I learned about it, it was um, Alcoholics Anonymous and other uh, 
self-help groups of that that kind and just for reference for our audience here i'm just going to it's a very short poem if you mm. will it, it extremely helpful and and from what i can understand basically on what james has said it has been drawn from stoicism uh, if i if i have that correct so i'm just going to state very quickly what it, uh, the serenity prayer is and it goes like this god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference and they say that at the end of every single alcoholics anonymous meeting and many other meetings of that type when you can accept what you can change and what you can't and influence what you can change but not worry about it that's serenity and then you yep. don't need the you don't need to step out of the state that you're trying to um, you're trying to change through any dependency be that alcohol, drug, anger, sex money, whatever it is, when you can mm -hmm. reach that state of calmness where you just you appreciate that life's going to throw curveballs, life's going to crap on you, we are going to die, but in the meantime, while I'm here, I'm going to live life to the full and enjoy it as much as I can. Yes, yes. So before we go today, um, I'd like you to give our audience um, information on where they can contact you? Yeah, um, my website's best place, I would say, is jamesgoff.me. That's G-O-U-G-H dot M-E, jamesgoff.me. And from there, um, there's a few links to the actual training site, which is all free. I, I give that for free to people. Obviously, I hope that people then want to get one-to-one -one coaching with me or do some courses, etc., and that's how I earn my money. But I do give all of this for free. And that training course you could use and it will change your life if you put it into practice. Yes. From what I've seen so far, I agree. And very, very much appreciate that you've taken the time to be with me today. It was really great to be able to speak with you again. And I very much want to bring you back again for another show where we would go through a detailed process for our listeners of how you do what you do. Absolutely. I'd love to. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I look forward to it. And so for those of you who have been listening, uh, thank you for being with us today. My name is Nathan Siegel, and I am part of a, 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 a group, if you will, well, two of us, Hamish Baston and myself, and we call ourselves the Thought Hackers. We will see you next time. You've been listening to The Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.